My name is Bob, an alcoholic. And only through the grace of a God that I was afraid to believe in that I've accessed and maintained in my life through a process outlined in a book called Alcoholics Anonymous, the ability to remain sponsorable and a persistent and consistent effort in our primary number one purpose of trying to forget ourselves and help other drunks. And through that, I haven't had a drink or any mind or emotion altering medication since October 31st, 1978. That, that is a miracle that I am ashamed to tell you sometimes I take for granted. It's big doings. For those of us who have suffered from alcoholism and you're killing yourself and yet you can't imagine life without it. Um, I, I looked at that topic and I, 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 I looked at the topic and I, I thought, I said to one of the committee members, I'd like to find out who came up with this topic and, and just pummel him with hardback big books until he goes unconscious. And then, and then they said, oh, well, that was one of a several you submitted to us in an email. I just say stuff. I don't, you know. I just, I just do that. I think one of the topics I submitted was how to how to get people to make amends to us. I mean, that would be a, a good, good topic. Uh, so, and and yet, and yet, I thought about this this topic, and uh, you know, where uh, if you're new here, this isn't going to be aimed so much at you. Tonight, I may do, I may, my day may talk at you. This is going to be aimed at problems I've incurred well deep into my sobriety. Problems that I've been able to survive and grow from that I've watched it take other people out. Um, and I've been very lucky. In order to stay sober a long time, the, the thing is you've got to survive yourself, right? <laughs> That's the problem. And I'm a, I'm a problematic guy. Uh, so I've had to learn how to survive myself here. Uh, I want to read a, two, two things. And a lot of people, especially this first thing I'm going to read, a lot of people think this applies to them when they were drinking. I don't think so. I think it's more pertinent now that I'm sober. And this is symptomology of this thing that's kind of wrong with me that now that I've, I've dressed it up in sobriety and I keep it in the shade. It says, we were having trouble with personal relationships. You know, I wouldn't if I could get them to mind. I couldn't control my emotional nature. You know what? It's you know what we learn. We learn how to suppress it, and I ain't gonna say nothing. But I'm gonna go home and and hate you in silence. You know that? <laughs> or I, I had a to carry permit for guns because I used to I had a business that was very successful. I used to carry a lot of cash to the bank sometimes, like quite a bit. And so I had, I had this permit to carry a concealed weapon. I stopped carrying it because. If I were having a really bad day in heavy traffic, I wouldn't shoot anybody, but I would point it at them. <laughs> Can't 
control my emotional nature were, were prey to misery and depression. Oh, I, struggled, I struggled with that here for my first couple of years. And, and once briefly in nine, in, when I was 19 years sober, I had a feeling we couldn't make a living. So many of us end up working for ourselves. We, we should be, it should be tattooed on our forehead, does not play well with others, <laughs> right? That's why most of us end up with our own businesses, you know, because we have a hard time being a team player, right? Couldn't make a living. I went through nine jobs in my first four years of sobriety. And it was always their fault. But I was always the guy that was leaving. Um, we were full of fear. I'm a worrier. You know, I, I learned to dress it up. I learned to not run around like Chicken Little with the sky falling because it looks bad. It's hard to be a spiritual giant when you're when the sky is falling. But I've had days in sobriety for no apparent reason where I've just woke up anxious, woke up apprehensive, woke up with a feeling like something bad's going to happen today. And I don't know what but I'm going to watch for it. <laughs> that is a bad day. That's a bad day. Uh, I was unhappy, and I couldn't be of real help to other people. This is not when I was drinking. This is when I'm sober. Matter of fact, when I was drinking, alcohol, not, not, not in the the late stages of the last days of drinking, but in, in the earlier days, alcohol actually fixed a lot of that. Right? Um, but not, not at the end. At the end, I, the medicine stopped working. I couldn't, I couldn't get any freedom. Here's another little thing I'm going to read. This is, when I first read this, it was depressing to me, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the truth. You know, they say the truth will set you free. Yeah, it'll ruin your day first, though, I'll tell you. That. <laughs> this is... This is about all relationship problems. It's, it's my inability to play well with others. It says, but it is from our twisted relations with family, friends, and society at large that many of us have suffered the most. We have been especially stupid and stubborn about them. The primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. Our egomania digs two disastrous pitfalls. Either I insist upon dominating the people I know for their own good, or I depend upon them far too much for my own good. If we lean too heavily on people, they will sooner or later fail us, for they are human too and cannot possibly meet my incessant demands. In this way, my insecurity grows and festers, when I habitually try to manipulate others to my own willful desires, they revolt and resist me heavily. Then I develop hurt feelings, a sense of persecution, a desire to retaliate as I redouble my efforts at control and continue to fail, my suffering becomes acute and constant. You know, I have not once sought to be one in a family, to be a friend among friends, to be a worker among workers, to be a useful 
member of society always I've tried to struggle to the top of the heap or to hide underneath it. This self-centered behavior blocked a partnership relation with any of those about us. Of true brotherhood, we had small comprehension. Does that make you want to shoot yourself? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like... Stop it, Bill. Stop it. Oh, God, make the... Make, make that mean Bill Wilson stop. Um, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that for me, and and and, and that's not that's not to ignore that I've had I've made tremendous progress here. I have, but that all of that is still in me, and on a bad spiritual hair day, it flares up and it's there, and it's only through the maintenance of my spiritual condition that I seem to be able to go out in the world and, and, and function a little better. Now, I was one who finally went through the steps. I went through, the, I did the steps several times in my early sobriety, but it wasn't until I was in my fifth year, a little after four years sober, that I did it out of the big book. And it was, it was transformational for me. It really was amazingly transformational, especially uh, in the fourth step, and this was our course, when all of a sudden I went, I went through every judgment, all these resentments were my judgments of people. What's all these judgments? In every case, when I did this was our course, I started to see how I'd been wrong about everybody. That my selfish, childish, self-centered perception had set me up for this conflict, and I started seeing how I was wrong. And, and it's, it's tremendous ego reduction. I mean, it's, it's, it's staggering. Because if you take, what's the ego do? The most, except it judges. And so I list all my judgments, all the people that really owe me an immense, all the wrong people, all the stupid people. And then I have to start dismantling this judgment machine, one judgment at a time. And every time you, you get it at your innermost self, you make the realization it talks about, and this was our course. And you see how this person is really you, and you say, oh, God, I was so wrong about them. You can, it's almost like notching down the ego. And the next person, I was so wrong about them. So wrong. And, and I, I think that we grow towards God and towards each other, and we grow spiritually by our willingness to be wrong. And there's no, nobody grows here from their willingness to be right, or else there'd be a step, and when we were right, promptly admitted it. But nobody grows from their willingness to be right. I mean, that's an odd, that's a, our egotistic default position. I'm right. And I'll, I don't care if it costs me my job, my marriage, my life. I'm, I don't care if it kills me. I want everybody after I'm dead to know I was right. Uh, so that is not, that's not a helpful position. Being right, but being wrong, yeah. And so I went through this process, and I, you know, I went and I made the amends, and, and I had uh, tremendous peace, and my relationships started to to, to be different. I, my business, I, I started to my business life started to soar. Plus, I had uh, my grand sponsor was a guy, and I got so much from Chuck Chuck Chamberlain. He was. 
there's a couple people in my that were transformational uh, people that God used to change my life, and Chuck was one of them. I remember Chuck. Uh, I heard him when I in my first. I've heard him many times, but the one time in my first couple years of sobriety, he he said something. I've thought about this a thousand times since then. He said that he believed there was one problem, and it contained all problems. And that problem was conscious and unconscious separation between me and you, me and God, and me and life itself. Wilson describes that so well. And this is not when you're drinking. This is when you're sober. He, he describes it in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions as, this, as a state of anxious apartness. Man, I had that everywhere I went. Because after the surrender of the steps wears off, and it does, surrender may be the solution, but like all solutions in the universe, it has a tendency to evaporate. And it evaporates, and what Harry Tebow talks about is so true in my experience. This, this subtle resurgence of the alcoholic ego, right? And it comes back. And it, just, it doesn't come back the way it was. It comes back smarter. It comes back armed with information from the big book. It, co it, co it comes back with, with all kinds of stuff it's gotten in out of AA to be self-righteous about. You know what the problem with self-righteousness? Self. <laughs> so it comes back. It comes back like, an, like armed, with armed with spiritual ideas. And it grandizes me and... and uh, I didn't know this was happening to me, but I went from a very surrendered state. Chamberlain had told me how to go to work. He, he said, I, after my ninth job, uh, I was getting ready to quit this ninth, this ninth job. And Chuck told me, he said, uh, he said, kid, you got it all wrong. You're so worried and obsessed with how much you're getting paid and how they appreciate you. He said, you got to go to work for one reason, one reason only. And that's to help God's kids. You go to work to be of service. And I don't know why I could hear that. I don't think I could have heard it six months before. But I'm getting, I'm, I'm very, very depressed over the fact that I've had nine jobs in four years. I mean, that speaks volumes of something's wrong with Bob, right? And, and I could hear it because I was afraid. I was scared to death. I was afraid that I was going to be one of those guys that never can work anywhere long enough to even get benefits, right? And I, and I, and I started to see the truth that it was me, but I don't know how to change me. And Chamberlain told me how to go to work, and I started doing that. And my, and my life started soaring. And I, and I inadvertently, I had a good sponsor. I had strong people in my life. And I was starting to practice a lot of these principles in all of my different affairs, and my life started to soar. Uh, of course it does. But then with success, see, success is, is a bad, it's, it's, it's a two-edged sword for guys like me, right? Because it, it's great, but it also has a tremendous potential to feed the thing that should be starved. This ego, this, this thing that in the third step I'm admitting and begging God to help me with because I'm in its bondage, right? The bondage of self. And so it feeds that. And you know what happens when that happens. It probably happened for some of you. You get this entitlement. You, see, you get to start becoming a little intolerant with people. 
because you start seeing again how stupid they are. <laughs> and now, when you're when you're a bit when you're a big shot, you don't have to tolerate the things when you were a little shot, right? And so I'm I'm having a lot of conflicts with people. I'm having relationship problems, uh, a lot of stuff, and uh, you know, and I did what a lot of us do. I went back through the steps again and a couple times. But my problem is not a lack of information. And, and my, one of my sponsees, who's a funny, funny guy, Craig, he, he has this great line. He talks about, and I've seen this a lot, people who just keep inventorying and inventorying and inventorying. He calls them scribblers. He said they just, oh, they don't want to do anything. They just want to study themselves, right? And I get that because that's, that's me. I want to study. I want to, I think that knowledge is power. I think that I will transcend all of this with more information. And lack of information is not my problem. A lack of positioning in the universe is my problem, a lack of action. When I was brand new, there was a guy who said, and I didn't get this, he said that AA could also stand for altered attitudes. And I didn't like, not only did I get it, I didn't like it, because all my life people have been telling me I have a bad attitude. And the truth is, I'm not sure what that means. I, I'm, I know it means there's something wrong with you, Bob, but I don't know what that particularly means. And then a guy I knew who was a pilot one time said that in pilots set the attitude of a plane. It's the angle of approach. And my sponsor says something that's really brilliant. He says that this is a disease of perception. And because I have a bad perception, I have a bad angle of approach to life. It's a selfish, self-serving, self-centered, judgmental, playing God kind of angle of approach to life. I'm a me-first person. Now, if you're sober a long time and your ego's returned, your ego knows that you don't want to look like a me-first person, so you've got to dress it up and look humble and be a me-first person at the same time. It's a hat trick, I'm telling you. <laughs> It's an art form. <laughs> you know, we learn, you learn a little catchphrases. Somebody tries to give you a hard time about something. Oh, you may, you may be right. You only say that when you know they're wrong. You're right. You're, 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 you're right. So it's not, I never stop to consider that they're actually right. I just, it, what I'm really, when I say you may be right, I'm, what I'm really saying is screw you and get away from me. Uh, what I'm really saying. So uh, my ego is returned in the steps. This, I, get, I get very, and this sounds weird because the steps saved my life. Truly, truly, truly. But some of the problems I'm occurring in Alcoholics Anonymous and out of Alcoholics Anonymous, in my relationships and business, in the world in general, aren't, I'm not getting, the steps aren't giving me enough traction here. I don't know what to do. And so this, a, a series of events occurred to bring me, I remember the one, this one guy, he said that if I, if you really want to grow spiritually, you start taking the principles in the 12 traditions and applying them in your life as if they were principles to live by. 
and to interact with people. To it's it's a re, it's a repositioning that is that is the maximum in selflessness. And I started thinking about that, and I started you know thinking what what would it look like? What would I look like? How would I present myself to the world if I was that guy that that lived these principles? Well, the first in the first tradition, it, it's it's runs almost counter. Can, can, it's almost against my basic nature because I'm a me first person. Now you learn in sobriety how to dress it up. You learn how to manipulate people a little more thoroughly and a little a little more in in covert than you do than you did before. You don't have temper tantrums anymore. You don't fly off the handle. You're you're a little more subtle. But isn't it really me first? Me first. Get my way. Because if I have my way, I'll be happy. Wilson talks about ego-driven people. And what he says is brilliant. He says that we know three emotional conditions. Excitement. I know that. I mistook it for, I mistake excitement for happiness. In the excitement of, of almost, you just about got your way. Oh, this is going to be good. You know that excitement? Like, ooh, ooh, this is going to, ooh. She, she's going to invite me to her house. I know it. This is like, you know, that excitement, that excitement. Anxiety that maybe I won't get my way. What do you mean I can't come over? Are you seeing somebody else? What do you mean? And then depression. And the depression hits, it's a lose-lose situation for me. Because I can be depressed because I've not gotten my way. And I heard a friend of mine used to say, depression's when God stops doing your will. Um, <laughs> you know what that's like. You get depressed when things aren't going the way you know they need to be that way. Or you got your way. And the shine is worn off of it, and that ain't it either. And the disillusionment and the letdown of trying to to wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world by managing well. So um, excitement, anxiety, and depression, those are the the emotional conditions of the ego-driven guys like me. So I started thinking about these traditions and trying to imagine what it would like if I were to change my angle of approach to life and show up as if I lived these, if they were important to me. And in the first tradition, it talks about me being not first anymore. That the wealth, the well-being of others has to come before me. That means where I work, the well-being of the company the well-being of the other employees, the well I'm, I'm last. And I, I remember someone telling me as a kid, uh, not, this used to be part of, part of my spiritual upbringing in Catholicism, but they used to always say, God first, you second, me last. Right? Well, in my, in my alcoholic mentality, it's me first, me second, and screw everybody else. I mean, it was like, right? Was, <laughs> so... So to shift that, to put you before me, and to realize that this is essential, that part of my part and parcel of my spiritual sickness is the loneliness of the separation, the lack of unity. 
that my personal recovery, and this is more than just not drinking, my personal recovery depends upon unity, that I have to somehow remove, or at least it, 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 even if it's just intermittently removing the separation between me and you and me and God. There was a guy in Vegas uh, who died many years ago. He was, a, he was a brilliant guy. And I remember being in a meeting one night, and people were talking. This was back in the early 80s. And people were talking about step 10. And that was at a time when people were doing some pretty crazy stuff in AA that came out of treatment, like they sit and write about their feelings for 30 minutes every night. I asked my sponsor if I should do that, and he said, you are self-centered enough. Don't do that. Right? But, they, but they, in this meeting, people are sharing things like that, you know. And, and Don just, they call on Don, and Don says, oh, you know, I, I hear what you're all saying. It's all nice. He said, but I don't really have to do all that. If I want to know how I'm doing spiritually, all I've got to do is look around me. And if everybody I see seems like they're doing okay, not perfect, like I'm not perfect, but they seem like they're doing okay, and I, I feel a connection with them, you can bet my spiritual house is pretty good. It's in order. But if I look around me and I see a lot of people that desperately need correction, <laughs> you can bet I'm in trouble. And that, I'll tell you, I heard that's 30 some years ago I heard that. That's been never, that has been consistently true. As it says, as Bill says in step 10 and the 12 steps and 12 traditions, that when I'm disturbed, no matter at all, no matter what the reason, there's something wrong with me. It's symptomatic of a resurgence of self because the spirit is not in conflict with anything. It's only the ego that has the capacity to, to fight, to be conflict, to judge, to be at odds with and separate from. And so, uh, I started to realize that that really is my problem, this lack of unity. And, and you know something, truly, truly, and you may identify with this, I drank because an unrealized lack of unity. I didn't know it, but I could walk into a party or a bar and I feel so awful alone in that state of anxious apartness that Wilson talks about, which really feels like it's all of you and then there's me. That separateness. And four or five shots of whiskey, oh, my God. I'm not alone. I'm their leader. I mean, you know. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it, it was amazing. It, it, it would connect. I remember feelings of intimacy and connectedness to people when I was about half drunk. Not, not drunk, drunk, drunk yet. That's on the way. But just half drunk that would just be, almost bring tears to my eyes. You know, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room that's ever said something to his drinking buddies like, I love you, man. You know, I'll die for you. You know, just, you know, ooh, that's amazing. I mean, that's like, wow. So I drank because on the natch, sober, I don't fit anywhere. I have a lack of unity. And I get sober, and the problem is, in sobriety, I get this hideous ego. And I have to be remain a part of here in order to keep me small out there and everywhere else. This is my 
refueling station, Alcoholics Anonymous. This is where I go, and I, God talks to me here through the group conscience. There's a thing that happens here that when we come together for the purpose of recovery, there's something in the midst that is greater, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You can feel it in a good A, a strong spiritually focused A group. And when I mean spiritually focused, where most of the people in the room, their life is about helping other drunks. And you can feel, the, the minute you walk in, you can feel, it's like a buzz. It's like walking into, a, it's electric. It's like walking into a beehive. It's like, it's, it's, it's 200 conversations starting with the word I. It's like, I mean, there's a hum, there's a buzz in the room. It's amazing. My home group's like that. I, love, I go there an hour and a half, hour and a quarter early, and I, I, stay, I position myself on the door as a greeter, and I just feel the buzz build. I love that. And so I have to stay a part of here. I have to have, and that's important for me to always have a job here, or several jobs, to, to tether me here. Because without, without commitments here, it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift away. So I have commitments in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have commitments in my home group. I have to put AA ahead of me. And, and consequently, uh, God talks to me. He talks, I, I, I bet you God's talked to me a th- at least a thousand times here. Sometimes through strangers. We all have that experience where you hear exactly what you need to hear in a meeting. And if you're not a part of AA, you, you can't be present for God to talk to you through the consciousness, the group conscience. So I must be a part of here. And and then the, the add-on that wasn't in the long form and was the one thing that was added on to the second tradition, uh, which makes it means that the second tradition is longer in the short form than it is in the long form, which is somehow very alcoholic. I just there's, a, there's like a funny rightness about that to me. I don't know. I'm just that's the way I'm wired. But that our that the highest you get here is servant. That's it. The real leaders in Alcoholics Anonymous are not the, they're not bosses, they're servants. And that that is my goal in life, that's my goal, that was my goal in my business. I used to use the 12 traditions at our staff meetings. All the management staff would come around in my company and I'd, I'd sit and we'd talk about the traditions. But we never said through the traditions. We'd talk about the principles of the traditions. And, and you'd be surprised. You know, we're the only people that balk at this stuff. Normal, well-adjusted people get it right away. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, all the common welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We shouldn't have any opinions. Oh, yeah, yeah. They get that. We, we go, what do you mean? You know, I mean... <laughs> Well, we, here's, what, here's what most alcoholics say. Oh, that's great, great for the people that need that. <laughs> but not me. So uh, they get it. And uh, that we become servants here. For, for many, many years, I, in, not every day, but intermittently I, in my prayers, sometimes I ask God to give me the heart of the servant because I want to be that guy. N- not because I'm a good guy. I've been, I've been the self-server, and I've been the servant here. And I got to tell you, usefulness and service feels better than self-service. It really does. 
There's a, there's a rightness about that when I'm doing what I've been divinely crafted by my creator to do, and that's to help other people like me. It's, there's nothing better than that, really, truly. And so uh, I must, there's a surrender here. You know, what is, uh, why am I here? You know, in our short form of the traditions, it says that the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Truly, when I got here, I didn't have a desire to stop drinking. I had a desire to stop, stop suffering because I didn't understand what had happened to me. But alcohol no longer relieved the suffering and abstinence. I suffered, I was, I was, I suffered drunk and I suffered sober. My last couple of years of drinking, I drank in depression. It was bad. crying jags, you know, it was bad. And so in the long form, the original 12 traditions, Wilson said that we believed all, he believed all mem that membership should include all who suffer from alcoholism. And in my business, we had to define what we were about. And we, and we, did, we, we used to talk about that. What are we here for? What's our purpose? Why are we here? We're here to serve our customers. That's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. We're here. And just to the extent that we were able to do that as a company, we were very, very successful when, when it wasn't about us. See, the problem I've always had is I fill up with me, and it's too much of me. When it's too much of me, I'm no good to you. When it's too much of me, I'm no good to me either. It's just too much of me. And so in this... And the combination of the steps and the repositioning in life through the traditions are designed to allow me to show up like I'm not first, like I want to be a servant, like I'm here to help. And, and some of us are very, very lucky. We, we get that at, at our, I get at my core, I am a selfish, self-centered guy. When, when Chamberlain said, that there was only one problem. He's, he's really got it, except that at the core of that, the root of that is selfishness and self-centeredness. There's too much of me between me and you. Too much of me between me and God. So the, that's the problem. So my only hope is constant and reoccurring self-reduction, a repositioning or, or abandonment. It's, it's, you hear people talk about it all the time. The, the, the endless series of surrenders we have here. My sponsor used a great analogy. He said, most of us are beaten by the bottle. We come into A, we throw the towel in the ring, and then when no one's looking, we sneak it back. <laughs> we'll spend the rest of our life tearing off little pieces of it to throw it to, to throw into the ring when we have to. Not because we're spiritual in nature, just because life is too painful holding on to that little piece of it. And so... You know, my uh, this primary purpose thing uh, is is a very is a very difficult thing to maintain. 
when you really, really think about it. Being a me first person, that my primary purpose is no longer me. And I think, I think I'm like most of us. I get here and my primary concern, my primary worry, my primary purpose is me and my relief and my sex and my money and my job and my well-being and what you think of me. And it's me, me, me. And it's like, it's, it's like right here. And to walk away from that and make my primary purpose you is, that's 180 degrees, really. That is completely the opposite way of heading into the life itself or presenting myself to the universe. And so I am a selfish, self-centered person by nature, and yet this way of life has positioned me and repositioned me to live a life of altruistic action in spite of my natural inclination for self-serving and self-concern. I, I am like the back of a toilet tank. I can work the steps and have massive self-reduction, like flush in the toilet. It just empties out, and then I just immediately start filling up with me again. You know, it's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me a bad guy. Harry Tebow says that the, 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 he, he talks about the amazing recuperative powers of the alcoholic ego. It always comes back. That's what makes alcoholism chronic. But it comes back. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to drink. It means you're going to hurt yourself at work. You're going to hurt yourself in your family. You're going to hurt yourself in, maybe in your home group. As you, me first. As you start to straighten those people out. As we, as we play God. Because what, what is playing God except getting up on a throne of judgment where I where I can see how everybody's wrong and then I have to attack them for being, you know, it's, it's just crazy. So in my primary purpose, uh, it's easy to slip away. I, you know, I got free from, I was a depressive by nature, just like Bill Wilson, just like my sponsor. My sponsor told me that. He said, he said you and I are a lot alike. He said, Left alone without the actions of Alcoholics Anonymous, I just implode into a depression, right? Because I just get me right here. I'll smother my very being with myself and my feelings and my life and my potential problems. And so the actions of Alcoholics Anonymous keep bringing me up off of me and setting me free, relieving me of this bondage of self. And, and it, it, it's, it's never... It, it never stops being a piece of business here because of the chronic nature. It, when I, one of the things that, that happened, you know, when I, I started talking about this earlier, I started getting successful in AA. And uh, when I was about 12 years sober is when it's really started. And all of a sudden, you know, I had struggled my first 10 years of sobriety. Based not much more than minimum wage stuff. I mean, I was really... I, I lived paycheck to paycheck, and I had a massive amends to make. I, I was broke con constantly. There were many days where I had to bump cigarettes and just to get through to payday. I mean, I didn't have anything. And now I'm, I'm like 12 years sober, and I'm starting to make some money, and I'm, start, and, and I'm starting to get asked to talk places. I'm starting because of my business. I'm getting notoriety uh, in, in the city of Las Vegas. Uh, I, I'm the guy they come and interview off when they have any issues that, arouse, that even connected with the retail industry I was into. 
So I'm getting prestige, property, money. Wilson says those are the things that divert us from our primary purpose. What a brilliant insight. And I started, I, I, I started this slow, slow process of the shift. I had a guy come up to me. It's funny. I sometimes, ever catch yourself saying the truth that you don't know, right? And this guy, this guy's sponsor came up to me. I was starting all this success and notoriety. He said, aren't you afraid this is going to go to your head? And without even thinking, I just said, well, where else would it go? I mean, I'll tell you, those words came to haunt me later because they were right on the money, man. I'll tell you. Oh, man. So by the time I'm, it, it actually started when I was about 15 years sober. And by the time I was 19 years sober, I started getting really depressed. I started really getting depressed, and it made no sense to me because I had everything I ever wanted. I'd, I'd run out of things to buy. I mean, I had everything I ever wanted. And I don't know why, because everything is so good out here. The problem is I've lost myself in here. Because unbeknownst to me, slowly and incrementally, my purpose started becoming me and my finances, and my toys, and my property, and my sex life, and me, me, me. And the frightening thing is I don't know that that's happening to me. My capacity to rationalize and justify is astounding to me. That as I move away from my primary purpose that God has given me to help other people, and I start putting me in the center, I don't know it because my ego is smart. And my ego wants the bragging rights of being a good AA member and still be self-serving at the same time. So I still went to meetings, sponsored a bunch of people. A guy in a meeting, he said, he told me the truth. I think God God worked through him. God works through people. you got to show up at meetings to hear God's voice sometimes. I was told him I was I was fighting this depression. I said I, I came out of nowhere, man. I just I, I haven't had felt I haven't had this in years, years and years. But he said to me, uh, he said, you know, you go to a lot of meetings, and you run your mouth a lot in AA, and you have the bragging rights of having a lot of sponsees and a service record in AA. He said, but I don't think lately your primary purpose is helping others. I think your primary purpose is you. And it hurt me, but it was right. It was exactly right. And I knew why I was so disconnected and I was so I was so sick inside because I, I'd, I'd walked away from God's will. I walked away from my divine purpose, the purpose I'd been crafted for. And it was affecting every area of my life. It, just, it also affected business because now I was me. I was a me guy in business. It was affecting every single... Because well, Chamberlain used to say something that was so right on. He said, you cannot compartmentalize your life. You can't do it. it the, you can't be a spiritual giant in AA and, the, and a predator in, in financially in business or with sex or what. You can't do it. It bleeds. Right? You can't... You have to be the same guy. It talks... That's what integrity is. It's being one person of one mind, one set of principles every area of my life. Right? In, the, in our big book, in, in uh, Into Actions, it talks... It says, 
This, and this is sober. This is not drinking. It says, more than most, the alcoholic has a tendency to live a double life. And then it talks about creating a stage character, right, right? that you want your fellows to see. I want a certain reputation at work. I want a certain reputation in AA. I want a certain reputation in the community. But behind the facade, I can't fool me. The God within me, I know I'm not any of that. And then, you know, those of you that lived like that, you lived the anxiety of being found out. And so I was that guy, and I didn't know I was that guy. And oh, that, when, when that, my friend said that to me, it just snapped me, and I, in no time at all, I was, I was back filling my car up with new guys, and I was taking more commitments at the, at the detox, and I was, only this time I'm not doing it for the bragging rights. I'm doing it because I know that that's my medicine. I gotta do this. This is my purpose. I gotta do this. this is me. This is this is my life. And, you know, if I could, I'm, I'm gonna. I only got a couple more minutes. The tenth tradition. If I could live this, truly, I think. I would know a, bliss, a spiritual bliss and a unity and a oneness that would be unbelievable. If, and I know that because I, I'm that way a little bit intermittently to have no opinion. I don't know about you guys. I'm, I'm like most drunks. I, alcohol burn my life to the ground or my self-will will burn my life to the ground. I'll have a massive surrender and then the first thing I get back is my opinion. Right? You know? And it doesn't always present itself as your opinion, and it presents itself as information about how wrong they are. Or, you know, it, it looks like you're, it doesn't look like an opinion, but yet it is. And uh, if I could live, if I could live the tenth tradition and have no opinion, I think then, to the, to the extent that I can do that, I would be living and carrying out the decision in step three. Matter of fact, I think that's what the steps help us to do. And step six and seven is where I start trying to jettison the things in me that stand in the way of my being that guy. Opinionless service. You know, in, in the 11th step, I'm asked to do something at night before I, I set myself up in the morning. And it's to ask myself a series of questions. And one of the questions in there. Is it just if you really try to on, answer it honestly, it'll cut you. And it's it's was I kind and loving towards all? Well, I don't know about your lives, but in my life, there's some people that don't deserve kind and loving. <laughs> I mean, I may not be rude to them. I may I may do the restraint of tongue and pen. I can do that. I can I can I can eat the words. I can do that, but not kind. Of, but there's a big difference between suppressing resentments and judgments and actually being kind and loving. One is proactive into the world and the other is just a reserved, I'm going to go home and tell my friends how stupid you are, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and to really be kind and loving towards all and, and to have no opinion. You know, I, I just, I am not, I am not a fan of social media. I am not. I, I just... God, when the election was coming up, oh my God, I had, I, 
I couldn't, I couldn't look. Because there's, there's members of Alcoholics Anonymous sober a lot of years with credibility as, as for the new people of things to look up to, and they're on there bashing the other side, whatever that may be. And I, I knew people, and I had people come to me in AA say, I don't even want to go, I don't even want to go to that group anymore. Those people are, don't, you mean you would put your own selfish agenda and political beliefs ahead of the welfare of the newer people? Well, they're wrong in their beliefs. Stop it. Stop it. Don't be so selfish. Don't be so selfish. That's why there's a brilliance in... in, in uh, you can have opinions. just can't express them. <laughs> Especially if you're, if you're sober more than five years. I'm, let's face it. If you're sober five years, a guy with, with six months may look up to you as an example of how to conduct their, your life sober. What kind of an example are you going to be? Right? Do I want to be the example that makes you uncomfortable because uh, it's because I'm getting adamant and angry because you're not you're not believing and thinking the same way I am? Do I do I want to make you feel uncomfortable or in Alcoholics Anonymous? Am I that selfish? It's 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 a hideous thing. I watch I, it just to make me sick inside to watch these people. And some of these people. For a long time, I had a lot of respect for them. But the problem is, on social media, they're on there as a Everybody knows they're an AA, right? It's not like, it's not like I've, I've found a back door how to have express opinions about stuff and, and not really break the Everybody, know, If everybody on your friend list knows you're an AA, you're, you're showing up like that, right? That's a, it's a hideous thing. It's dangerous to look for loopholes here. Dangerous. Dangerous to look for loopholes. And, and you know why I know that? Because I, by nature, am a loophole looker. I, I'm telling you, if I can, I, I'm that kind of guy. If I can find an angle here to do what I want to do and, and just and maybe get away with it. So, yeah, but you can't say anything. I'm a loophole looker. That's what selfish people are, man. We're just... We're that way. You know, I don't remember. I met, my intention was not to give my last name when I started. Did I give it? See, it's a bad habit. I, w I spent a lot of years in general service, you know, and uh, I was taught in general service that just like Dr. Bob talks about, that we do not hide ourselves from each other in the fellowship. And so I learned over the years, as a lot of us do, that you, you, you let people in AA know who you are. Use your last name in Alcoholics Anonymous, but never, never at the public level. Here's, here's a bad deal. There, there are, are people, and I think they're good intention. They hear AA talks, and they like them, and they just throw them online. At, I mean, there must be a dozen or more sites, XA, U2. I mean, they throw these talks online, and I'm sure their intention's good. Their intention is, well, this might, this might help somebody, okay? But nobody, nobody has enough respect for our 11th tradition to bleep out the last name that the guy used when he gave the talk. And you know what it feels like? 
it feels, there's an old, that's why I'm, I'm, my intention is I'm going to try. I don't, it's going to be hard because it's knee-jerk for me to give my last name. I, I'm going to have to retrain myself to that. do that. But I feel like that Ron White story, the, the comedian, where he's, he's drinking in a bar, right? And he gets in a beef and they throw him outside the bar where, and where he gets arrested for being drunk in public. And he says, I wasn't drunk in public. I was drunk in a bar. They threw me into public. Re- arrest them, right? Well, that's what I feel like. I feel like you get some of the people in AA are throwing me into public, right? <laughs> so if you're going to throw me into public, I got to stop and I can't stop that. And I can't. It's so, it's so out of control. Then I'm going to have to try to learn not to give my last name in AA. It's going to, it's going to be a re-education for me because it's been, God, 30-some years of, of giving my last in, in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'm going to have to try, and I'm going to try to do that. It, and I, not because I, but for no other reason that I know that talks get thrown on there, and I'd rather, I don't want to make myself unavailable to members of AA that, that might want to talk to me. My number's in the phone book. Uh, people call, and, and I'm, well, I'll take anybody's call. I'm, I'm real good with that. But uh, I, 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 have to, I have to take some measure of respect for the 11th tradition, and so I'm going to try to do that. And then finally and lastly, uh, the 12th tradition, I think this sums it all up. It sums up the problem with relationships, the problem with work. It sums up the problem with my people in AA. It sums it all up. Is that I've put my personality before the principles here. And, and I didn't understand what this principles before personality thing meant. I'm, I'm ashamed to say until I, and I've been in general service a lot of years, I didn't understand the implication of it until I was over 20 years sober. Here's what I thought. I thought that the principles of AA, I had to put before your irritating personalities, <laughs> your stupid personalities, your self-centered personalities, right? And I thought that's, we had, you know, acceptance and surreal, all the spiritual, and put before your personalities. It's not that. That's not what it says. Principles before personalities. There's only one personality that I have to put the principles before. It's mine. I am the source of my conflict. I am the source of my separation. I am the source. I am the the monkey wrench in the machine here. That I must put these principles before my personalities. And there's a a line in the big book that is is so, I really believe this with every fiber of my being. When they say that we found that spiritual principles would solve all our problems. And what Chuck said was right. There's only one problem and it contains all problems. And there's only one solution it contains all solutions. And this selfishness and self-centeredness has to constantly be dialed down so that I can be connected with you and connected with God. And just to the extent that I'm able to keep me small enough to be closer to you and keep me small enough to be closer to God do I feel a sense of rightness in my life and a purpose and I don't feel conflict I look around me today there's a lot of people I know in this room that I've known from over the years I look around me today and you all look pretty good to me you all look like you're kind of like me 
it'll look like you struggle with self and fear and a lot of things I struggle with. And so I, I suspect that from that perception that I'm probably in a good place. But it's early. <laughs> I'm sure by tonight I will found some things wrong with some of you. Thanks for shit for listening. <laughs> <laughs>